If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this April 30th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can get the truth about all sorts of topics in the news in this world turned upside down, a very rare thing in this very strange world in which we now live, especially from the conservative perspective. Hour number two is generally our interview hour of the podcast, and this week is no exception. We are joined by the author of a, a brand new book. In fact, technically not even out yet. Uh, it will be technically out May 14th when he speaks at the Ronald Reagan Library here in Southern California. His name is Tim Ortman. He's a former TV cameraman and producer, and he has written a book called Newsreel, A View Through the Lens When. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, John. Tim, one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you, and one of the several reasons, is that uh, your, your subject matter for your book is one uh, that I find to be uh, both interesting and really important. Uh, and in the description of your book, your, your, the book is basically about the, how the news media has changed over uh, your very long career as an NBC uh, news camera person and producer. And w- one of the many things that you, you discuss in this book is how fragmentation, media fragmentation, has really changed fundamentally the way that the news media operates and in my opinion, and I'm curious to see whether or not you agree, really has greatly impacted our politics and the way that a lot of things end up working in our society and the impact that or lack thereof that the news media has. Uh, before we get into those topics, why don't you give us a little bit of background about your career and why it is that you decided to write this book? Well, Newsreel, it's a, uh, a memoir it, about my time spent as an NBC staff cameraman based overseas during, uh, as part of the Foreign Press Corps, and this takes place mostly during the 80s, which was a pretty tumultuous news-gathering time for the world. Uh, it started for me with the war in uh, Lebanon and concluded with the fall of communism. So throughout that whole period, I experienced a really wonderful sense of camaraderie with the other dedicated men and women I worked with who were covering news. I felt a a supreme amount of pride working for uh, the NBC News team and the greater broadcast news business. 
but given the climate that we're in right now, and you're right with all the media bashing that's going back and forth, it provided me with an opportunity to perhaps remind the reader that in a free society like ours, a strong and independent news media is a really vital component to that society. Let's talk about how things have changed uh, since since you were at NBC. Sure. What 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 do, you, what do you think are the biggest changes, and what impact do you think those changes have had? Well, the book takes place when there were just three, you know, super trusted anchormen: Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, and Dan Rather. CNN had just been formed and was catching up quickly, but those three networks were they owned the whole landscape. They were they had you know twice the viewers that they have today. They were trusted, the anchormen were trusted more than presidents, and they were the go-to indisputed source for news. And things have so changed now. We've gone from three networks to 300 channels, uh, and, and in the process there's a lot of online opinion, and there's also a lot of TV talk. And all of that is masquerading as news. There still is very much so a bedrock mainstream media that's delivering the news without opinion or bias, and and we can still get our news from those sources. I like talk just as much as anybody, so I listen to talk and opinions, but I identify it as as an opinion. And if you if you pick up the New York Times, the front page and is dedicated to news. If you want opinions and editorials, they identify that section as an op-ed. But anymore, with such a crowded landscape, it's not so clearly identified as opinion and editorial uh, and distinguishing from true news, which still very much is alive and well today. Now, obviously, the the biggest thing that's happened in politics and the media in recent times is the emergence of Donald Trump. And uh, I believe that this fragmentation that, that both of us have already referred to had a, a major impact on how he was able to win the Republican nomination and, and really even the presidency, because I think uh, what has happened is that the news has become niche programming and that now every flavor of news is intended to, to draw an audience uh, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, everyone has to basically effectively pick their own political element that they want to appeal to. And uh, that helped Trump in the primaries. And then in the general election, the news media had, has lost so much credibility and so much power through loss of audience and through having, in my view, basically prostituted themselves out and, and giving opinion instead of just staying to news, that they no longer had the power to take Trump out that I think that they probably presumed that they did. What do you make of that analysis? Well, first of all, let me say the book isn't a referendum on Donald Trump. It's a 330-page book. He's not mentioned once. It's more of a defense of the news business. But I think uh, Donald Trump, as president, certainly doesn't enjoy the, the watchdog component, the watchdog journalism role that has been so vital a part of, our, of the news media. I mean, the new, every president has bristled at the coverage that they've received. You know, going back to Thomas Jefferson, Donald Trump isn't, isn't new to that, but I think every president at the end of the day has come to grips and realized it's a cornerstone of our democracy. So 
when you don't like something that's flattering or complimentary, it's uh, you know I think his knee-jerk reaction is to uh, is to call it fake or or dismiss it when in fact there's a lot of really good reporting being done and it's all a lot of it's really factually based. But but with, with regard to the issue of fragmentation in particular, I, I I'm not sure that there really is all that much great reporting anymore. Maybe there is some places. But I think that we, because of fragmentation and because of the broken business model that now existed, now exists in the modern era of the news media with the internet and cable television and, and everything else that's gone on, that now popularity drives the bus far more than truth or credibility or hard news reporting. And every, even hard news reporting, what passes for hard news reporting now is so fluffy and there's the short the attention spans are now so short that there's not enough time to get into deep uh, news stories, which, as you know, uh, you know, news and life and truth can be very complicated. You need time to tell those stories. That time no longer exists. So, uh, do do you disagree with any of that analysis? That that's what has changed, and and that and bringing it back to Trump, I think Trump benefits from this as president because stories that used to be big enough to spend a whole week talking about. Now we talk about for 15 minutes and move on. And and Trump benefits from that, does he not? Well, I think there is certainly truth in what you say. And, and sadly, we can't put the, uh, the journalistic genie back in the bottle. You know, it is what it is. It's out there. And we have this massive landscape, fractured, as we've said. And uh, I, I think it, it is up to the to the viewer to kind of distinguish, to tune out some of the noise, and uh, there is absolutely uh, a popularity or a profitability component to it. And I, I touch on that in the book, that the news divisions back then weren't expected to be profitable. They had to do budget analysis and all that, but they were viewed by the networks in general as a higher calling, almost a civic obligation. You know, they, the money was generated from their other, Charlie's Angels or MASH or Monday Night Football, but the news divisions were, were pure. They were allowed to do their own, their own thing without so much scrutiny. And I think that, that uh, there is a, a popularity component, certainly today, that, uh, that wasn't in, in play back then. I think that that's an incredibly important point that, that has fundamentally changed news, that news used to be separate from the entertainment divisions, and it was paid for by the entertainment divisions. It wasn't, ex although it made money mainly because the audiences were so large if by default. Right. Um, but, but now it's expected to make money on its own. And, and even within that, even the news stories that might lose money, even though they're real or true, are immediately discarded now in favor of far more profitable stories, stories that'll be retweeted a lot or shared on Facebook or get big ratings on the nightly news or whatever it is, that that, that is the prism through which every news story is now viewed. And, uh, and to me, that is an incredibly destructive force because there is an inherent, fundamental, I believe, antithetical relationship between popularity and truth. Uh, oftentimes the truth is very unpopular, and often things that are popular are not truthful. 
You know, it's the old tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies deal. Uh, and that's what I think that news has become. Tell the audience that you've chosen the lies that they want to hear. And and as you said, there, there's no going back. The genie is out of the bottle. And, um, and, and so to me, there, there's I don't see any way out of this. I don't see any way to get it better. Uh, in fact, I think it's only going to get worse. Where, where do you stand on that? Well, I would just caution to generalize that all news is driven by that profitability component. And, uh, A, I do think too much news is generated out of Washington, D.C. these days. I mean, I spent my, a good portion of my career in the Foreign Press Corps going all over the world, covering news on five different continents. And uh, today, the pages and the headlines and lead stories do seem to be monopolized by this current administration, and, and it's the role of the media to, to report on the president, but not solely, not exclusively, and I think everybody kind of um, salivates over those, those stories coming, both right and left, over those stories coming from Washington, but I, I, I don't think everything is driven by a profitability. I know that the New York Times goes around the world and has bureaus everywhere. I know that uh, NBC and CBS and ABC and everybody tries to incorporate international coverage into their nightly newscasts and uh, their morning broadcasts. So I still get a fairly healthy diet of what I consider very uh, hard news and, and factually based news reporting. But I would agree with you that uh, with so much competition for the same amount of viewership, they do tend to go, there is a popularity contest out, uh, now, out today. Now, I, I do think there's a danger in this discussion of uh, looking at the past with rose-colored glasses and pretending that the past, you know, was better than it really was. Now, you were there, uh, at least at NBC. Uh, do, do, you, do you think that, now certainly in retrospect, um, I, I would agree that that era of news was far more substantive, far more credible, and far better uh, than what we have today, largely because of the economic factors that were at play. But do, but do you see that really as a golden era of news, or are we looking at it uh, with, with these so-called rose-colored glasses in retrospect? I do. I call it the heyday. I don't think it's rose-colored glasses. I think it's 2020 vision. We... We were everywhere and anywhere that news happened. We did not have to justify satellite time. Um, we were we were ruled by our own news judgment. And there were, you know, there's numerous examples in in the book where um, we made a difference. And and we there was a we got word the BBC went in for to Ethiopia, for example, and broke a story on a, a famine of almost biblical proportion and we raced in there and we were the first american crew to get in there and it, it was very trying to get into this very remote place of this very impoverished country but when we did finally get there and we arrived at these refugee camps we were wholly unprepared for what we witnessed it was death and destruction death and dying on a massive scale people had crawled for days and weeks just to get to some uh, camp where they could get some nutrition or a glass of water or whatever, and infants were dying in their mother's arms, and it was horrible. And the world hadn't known about that. You couldn't expect the local Ethiopian media to release this story. 
um, it was up to us, the news media, the International Press Corps, and um, those images and those stories that we released and told uh, made it had a huge impact. I think that um, estimates vary widely. There are upwards of five million people perished as a result of that, but it could have been far worse had you know we not gathered and got those reported on those stories in a benevolent uh, you know nations that uh, gave a lot of aid to help that situation improve. Now, Tim, you, you are, were for many years an, an NBC cameraman and producer, and I know that on your book uh, there is a blurb, an endorsement from the anchorman who you've praised from NBC already during this interview at that time, Tom Brokaw. And, and Tom Brokaw was, or is currently, as we speak, embroiled in a controversy over allegations of uh, sexual harassment or abuse. I don't know if you would call it abuse, but but certainly uh, sexual harassment by at least uh, one known and one unknown person who were former colleagues of his at NBC, and that this has created quite a bit of news over the last uh, several days. What is your take on that, uh, obviously as a person who knows Tom Brokaw? I was fortunate to have worked for... 30-plus years uh, on a number of historic stories with Tom Brokaw. And um, he embodies, not just for NBC, but for the entire industry, professionalism and integrity. Uh, he's a stand-up guy. And um, when I heard that, when I first read that, I was shocked. And uh, I think it's, there's an accusation and um, I had also worked briefly with the accuser in Chicago. She was employed by NBC. So You're talking about uh, Linda Vesser? Correct. So I, I'm inclined, uh, I'm very much inclined to b believe Tom's account of that, uh, that story than Linda Vesser's. I, 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 Tom, Tom Brokaw is just um, such a wonderful man that uh, I, I find that impossible to believe. Now, you said something interesting there. You, you worked with both Brokaw and Vesser, and you are inclined to believe Brokaw's account. Can you give us some more insight as to why that is the case? Well, I, I know Tom far better than I know than I knew Linda Vester, uh, and I just I know Tom to be a man of integrity, and I, uh, I, I, believe, I, I would believe his account. What about Linda? I, I don't know her that well. I don't know what, what transpired, but um, I know that uh, I think she worked, she left NBC and went to work at Fox News. And after that, I, I never had a chance to work with her again. But again, I can only defend Tom Brokaw as a, an incredible man and uh, a pillar of uh, professionalism. Now, Megyn Kelly this morning on NBC said that uh, those from the, the media specifically at NBC, many women, I believe over 60 women, signed a letter supporting Tom Brokaw uh, in this controversy, although not directly opposed to Linda. They were trying to basically have it both ways, but they were supportive of Tom, and Megyn Kelly warned them that you don't know what you don't know. Uh, now, I don't think Megyn Kelly knows Tom Brokaw at all, and she's definitely been one of those who have been uh, at you know on this what I would call a bandwagon of the Me Too movement. Uh, what what do you make of the Me Too movement with regard to media figures? And are we in a in a, in a danger zone 
where when it comes to famous men who are not really any longer in a position to defend themselves, like Tom Brokaw's rarely on the air. He's basically retired at this point. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's defending himself via leaked emails to, to colleagues. Uh, what, what do you make of the Me Too movement within the news media? And, and do you fear that, that if, as you say, Tom Brokaw was, has been wrongly accused, that others may be as well? Well, I, first of all, let me say I did read the letter that was signed by 65 um, women uh, currently and, and former employees of NBC. And, uh, you know, those are very heartfelt uh, signatures. They all supported Tom Brokaw, um, you know, categorically. So I think that speaks volumes about Tom's character. Uh, and regarding the Me Too movement, Certainly, I think the women need to have uh, a voice, and, and this is a kind of a, you know, newly developed phenomenon, and it's it's bringing to light a lot of, um, as you said, sexual harassment cases that need to be brought to light. I, I think that's a good thing. Well, but it was the culture there. I mean, you were there during the uh, the anchor monster, if you will, era. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't describe Tom Brokaw that way, but not I mean, at all. No, no, that's a complete misrepresentation. Right, but but obviously that was an era where people in television had a lot of power. I mean, more than they even have now, and that tends to sometimes lead to corruption. Did you? Was there a culture in what you saw that uh, is consistent with what we're hearing now with the Me Too movement? No, there was not. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of a different time. It was not that you can justify sexual harassment. You can't. Um, but, no, I, there wasn't, there was no, during, certainly not during the, the time when I wrote um, Newsreel. There wasn't some, uh, there wasn't a cultural culture of harassment. It was, uh, uh, we were, band together by the commitment to, to cover news and to get out the truth and to give a voice to the voiceless. It wasn't, um, I, I don't, I can't speak to whether that was going on or not back then. And, and uh, I, but I can certainly agree that it, you know, the Me Too movement is uh, a good thing for women who have been uh, harassed. So what else will we learn in your book, Newsreel? Tell us, tell us more about uh, the book and, and why people should uh, consider uh, getting a copy. Well, again, I mean, I don't think it's uh, to go back. It's not to go back and look at ro news with rose-colored glasses. It's to look at news when it was done properly, and there are still um, examples of that being done today. And, and I think uh, there are countless examples where it's still being done today, and, and for example, in the book, we there was in late in '89, we uh, had gotten word that you know it looked as though communism was, you know, was going to last forever. It was sturdy, and there was no end in sight. And um, we were assigned to go. We had heard about some some refugees coming across East Ref East German refugees coming across into. West Germany, which was unheard of, so we went down to these tiny, this tiny little railroad station in a tiny little West German border town. And sure enough, we saw these East German citizens who had come from a communist nation just riding the train one night at midnight into into uh, West German freedom, and it was amazing to see. And we had to find out more. How was this possible? You just weren't able to travel freely. 
from communist Czechoslovakia into uh, West Germany. So when we went um, behind the Iron Curtain to find out more, this was, again, not a story that was going to be covered by um, the Eastern European news agencies who were state-owned and censored. This had to be coming from uh, a free and independent media. So NBC News and uh, others went into Czechoslovakia to find out what was going on. And what we found there was that East Germans were allowed to travel freely behind the Iron Curtain into other communist countries like Czechoslovakia. And when they got into Czechoslovakia, they immediately went for the West German consulate in Prague and climbed the walls and basically landed into freedom. And if you can imagine leaving an oppressed communist society and landing within the walls of freedom, it was a joyous occasion. They had to be put on trains and transported into West Germany, but it was very embarrassing for both the East German government and the Czechoslovakian government. And um, that kind of loophole allowed for just a trickle of people to go from East to West and uh, to see an institution. And eventually, that, of course, that brought down the Berlin Wall and within days, Czechoslovakia fell and the dominoes tumbled, but to see what seemed to be an enduring system like communism fall so quickly because of shining a bright light from the news media, uh, I took great pleasure in being, you know, some small insignificant part of that that wave of bringing down communism in East Germany, East Europe. Well, Tim, you do realize that at least the first part of that story, if you tried to pitch it today with the expense that that story would uh, cost to cover, that uh, it probably wouldn't even be assigned. You do, you do understand that, right? Well, I think they might scrutinize it, but the fall of communism, come on. No, no, I'm talking about at the beginning. I'm talking about at the beginning. I'm talking about at the beginning where the fall of communism is not assured. I'm talking about the beginning of that story. That story gets rejected, Tim. You do understand that, right? Uh, hypothetically, I, I, I still have uh, confidence in some news executive somewhere that would see that as a newsworthy uh, story nope. and follow that. Well, yeah, I think you're a little I, mean, I don't think I'm quite as jaded uh, as you are, John, but uh, I, well, I, I, I still think we're better, we're far better off with a, uh, uh, a strong independent news media than without. Oh, of course we are, but we don't have one. We, we have a weak, non-independent, uh, audience-based news media uh, which is not doing its job, and uh, and unfortunately, our current president has been able to to use distrust and hate of the media to his own advantage for things that I don't think he deserves to get advantage for. So, uh, you know, I, I am far more pessimistic than you are. I am maybe more jaded, but I think I'm also a little more realistic. I th- I think you're living still in the '80s, Tim. <laughs> I, well, I. I uh, I would disagree, but uh, I watch a lot of news. I see a lot of negative news. I see a lot of positive news. And uh, as I said, we seem to be consumed with news coming out of Washington. And uh, I, don't, I don't. I hope that's not a, a permanent change. I, I agree that uh, we're all interested in this administration, but I hope it's not exclusively solely. All right, uh, Tim Ortman, author of the book Newsreel: A View Through the Lens. When? Thanks so much for your time. John, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, uh, that's uh, Tim Ortman. Uh, and uh, just for the record, you know, I'm an 80s guy. Grew up in the 80s. The 80s is my favorite decade. 
Goldberg's is my favorite TV show. I always say when, uh, whenever asked, it, this doesn't happen often. You know what? When is the the media era that you would wish we still had? And while there are no errors that are perfect, I actually pinpoint the year. Give me 1984. 1984, other than the Golf Channel. I'd like to bring in the Golf Channel. But if you give me 1984 media with the Golf Channel, I'm all there. Because technology has evolved enough to where we can get everything live. But there's no cable. We've still got basically the, the same four networks. Uh, and there's no fragmentation. There's enough substance. Uh, it's not all cotton candy. And so by accident, the, the populace got educated. That doesn't happen now. See, I think what T Tim's living in a bit of a bubble. Tim thinks that uh, a lot of people are like him, who are news junkies. And therefore, if you sample from everything, you're, you're going to be educated. No, that's not the way it works anymore, folks. 90, 95% of the population either gets no real news or they get very selective news. And I'm not sure which is worse in this era. They're both bad. Um, but maybe the most interesting thing Tim had to say there was his defense of uh, Tom Brokaw. And I, I sensed, although he wasn't going to say it, I, I sensed some suspicion about uh, Linda Vesser's uh, allegation against uh, Tom Brokaw. And, I, and I, I share it, mainly because why now? What, what, all these years later, it supposedly happened in the 90s. Me Too has been going on for six months. Why now? And these are, to be clear, pretty benign in comparison uh, allegations. I mean, Brokaw himself even mocked them in uh, an email to to uh, colleagues at NBC that got leaked. But I'm I'm very skeptical of anybody who is retired from an industry and then all of a sudden is doing something that could clearly turn into a lawsuit against deep-pocketed people. Uh, and we've seen that in, in a number of these types of stories. But uh, I, I'm going to withhold judgment on Brokaw. I'm, I'd like to hear more information. But my sense is that, uh, that Tim is right about Tom Brokaw. Now, make sure that uh, you stay tuned for hour number three, uh, another significant update on the entire, speaking of media malpractice and stories that prove that the media in the modern era don't know what the hell they're doing, <laughs> the, the ongoing fiasco that is the alleged non-existent Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal, We've got uh, several important elements for you in hour number three uh, on that front, so make sure you pay attention and listen to that. As always, I ask only two things of you. Number one, share this podcast via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com.
Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.